Podcasting from the heartland of America in the state of Missouri, this is Recovering Faith, a show about increasing or regaining faith, trusting God when it doesn't appear to make sense to do so, and coming to Christianity from a non-Christian or pseudo-Christian worldview. I am your host, Gene Curl, and I wholeheartedly welcome you to this show. In the last episode on Mormonism, I talked about the introduction to the Book of Mormon through the end of 1st Nephi, and I covered some of the many errors found there. In this episode, I will start with 2nd Nephi and see how far I can get without making this episode too long. In its origins, the LDS Church was very much an American church, and it showed in how the Book of Mormon was written. All through the supposed most correct book on earth, we find examples of American exceptionalism, such as 2 Nephi 1.5, that talks about America being choice above all other lands. Which should not be surprising considering Joseph Smith, the author of the Book of Mormon, taught that the Garden of Eden was in Jackson County, Missouri, and that Zion would be there eventually. However, as the church grew, as our church has grown, I mean, they have stepped back their praise of America in attempts at becoming more of a world church. And today, the church has more members outside of the United States than they have within. Early on in the book of Second Nephi, it says that only those who God had chosen were allowed to come to America. And it alludes to Christopher Columbus, and the reason that he was allowed to discover America was because the Native Americans believed to be the descendants of Father Abraham, sinned. The LDS Church has had a difficult time with all of the verses in the Book of Mormon that sound racist, but uh, such as this one, and the verses where people turn dark because of their sin and when their skin lightens when they repent. If those verses were to be believed literally, then people would be led to believe that you could judge a person's righteousness based solely on his or her skin color. And that is definitely not the case, not even close. It's apparent from reading the Book of Mormon, compared to the other writings of Joseph Smith, that his doctrine evolved as he grew in influence and power. Joseph Smith taught later that in order to be saved and go to heaven and to be with God, we have to earn our way through works and ordinances. But that's not what the Book of Mormon says. Wherefore, I know that thou art redeemed because of the righteousness of thy Redeemer. For thou hast beheld that in the fullness of time he cometh to bring salvation unto men. And thou hast beheld in thy youth his glory. Wherefore, thou art blessed even as they unto whom he shall minister in the flesh. For the Spirit is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and the way is prepared from the fall of man, and salvation is free. All men are instructed sufficiently, that they know good from evil, and the law is given unto men, and by the law no flesh is justified, or by the law men are cut off, yea, by the temporal law they were cut off, and also by the spiritual law they perish from that which is good, and become miserable forever. Wherefore, redemption cometh in and through the Holy Messiah, for he is full of grace and truth. Behold, he offered himself a sacrifice for sin, to answer the ends of the law, and unto all those who have a broken heart and a contrite spirit, and unto none else can the ends of the law be answered. Second Nephi chapter 2, verses 3-7. through seven. 
And the important part of that verse is, it says that salvation is free. And that is not something that the LDS Church teaches anymore. A few verses later, uh, verses 11 through 16, the book suggests that God created evil so that we could have a choice between good and evil. However, God did not create evil as God is all good and evil is simply an absence of what is good. Verse 17 agrees with the Bible that the devil was an angel of light and fell, and that differs from later LDS doctrine that teaches that the devil is the brother of Jesus. Verses 23-25 of 2 Nephi suggest that the fall of Adam and Eve was part of the plan and that God meant for them to fall, despite commanding them not to eat of the forbidden tree. And now behold, if Adam had not transgressed, he would not have fallen. But he would have remained in the Garden of Eden, and all things were create, which were created must have remained in the same state in which they were created, and they must have remained forever and had no end. And they would have had no children, wherefore they would have remained in the state of innocence, having no joy, for they knew no misery, doing no good, for they knew no sin. But behold, all things have been done in the wisdom of him who knoweth all things. Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. There is no biblical justification for the claim that Adam and Eve were meant to fall. The reason there was only one tree that they were not allowed to eat from was to give them a choice to follow God. Otherwise, they would have only been following God because there was no other choice. If a person stayed with you when you were both trapped on an island, you would not know if he or she stayed with you out of love or simply because there was no one else to choose and no way to get away from you. God wants us to choose him, not because we are forced to choose him, but because we want to choose him. God slanted things heavily in favor of Adam and Eve doing the right thing. And in fact, there was only one more wrong choice they could make. The reason eating of the tree was a sin was not because of the type of tree it was. Eating of the tree was a sin because it was choosing to rebel against God. The choice was clear, and there were only two choices, God and not God. In the third chapter of 2 Nephi, it has a large section, verses 7 through 15, devoted to prophesying and praising Joseph Smith. And many people in the LDS Church feel that this is a divine revelation that Joseph Smith fulfilled. But I, and most people outside of the LDS Church, view it as a Joseph Smith praising himself in his own created book to appear more important to his followers. A large section of a book that Joseph Smith supposedly translating being about him, and in such a manner of praise, does not prove that he was a prophet, just that he thought extremely highly of himself and had an ego the size of Alaska. Later in his life, Joseph Smith even came up with an inspired translation of the Bible, and he wrote himself into it as well. Of course, the Smith translation of the Bible was no translation at all, as he read the English King James Version and then changed it to suit himself. A translation would have been if he had the original Greek and Hebrew and translated it into English. But it's not even what close to happen. Uh, it's not even close to what happened. English to English is not a translation, but rather a rewriting. In verse 24 of the third Nephi, chapter of uh, 2 Nephi, 
Joseph again lays on the self-praise pretty thick. And there shall rise up one mighty among them, who shall do much good, both in word and deed, being an instrument in the hands of God, with exceeding faith to do mighty wonders, and do that thing which is great in the sight of God, unto the bringing to pass much restoration unto the house of Israel, and unto the seed of thy brethren. Joseph Smith was extremely proud of himself, and did everything he could to elevate the way others viewed him as well. I've covered it in other episodes, but I think it's worth mentioning again that the Book of Mormon tries to use an out-of-context Bible verse to support the divinity of the Book of Mormon. However, if you were to ask any Bible scholar or any Jewish scholar, they would refute the LDS claim that Ezekiel 37 predicts the coming of the Book of Mormon or anything else related to Mormonism. And in fact, the prophecy in Ezekiel 37 has nothing to do with another set of scriptures. A large section of chapter 4 in 2 Nephi is devoted to Lehi blessing his children. And in the cases of his sons Laman and Lamuel, he told them that they would be cursed with a skin of darkness for their sins, but that their descendants would not be completely destroyed. And of course, would become the indigenous people that the Europeans find when they arrived. It's important to note that 2 Nephi 4.32 speaks of the gates of hell, which is more in line with traditional Christian theology than that of Mormonism, as Mormons teach that almost everyone will go to some degree of glory when they die, except for the devil and those who know the LDS church is true and still rebel against it. In 2 Nephi 5.10 and elsewhere in the Book of Mormon, it states that the people kept the law of Moses. But there is no evidence in this book or any of the books in the Book of Mormon that they kept the law of Moses. While there is mention of sacrifices, they were not in Jerusalem and therefore not acceptable. As any Jew will tell you, the only sacrifices that are acceptable are those offered at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. There are also multitudes of rituals and feasts that are not mentioned in the Book of Mormon. There is no mention of the Passover, peace offerings, ritual cleansings, Sabbath observance, etc. I find it difficult to believe that a people who were culturally, ethnically, and spiritually somatic would fail to write about events that are so important to them and so ingrained in their culture and society. When we get to verse 5, there is an anachronism because it mentions the use of still. And not only is there a multitude of evidence that the people of the Americas never used still before the Europeans colonized it, still was not even invented until many years after this supposedly took place. In the fifth chapter, it talks about how great an abundance of ore and precious metals and gems they had, then how Nephi could not build the temple as nicely as the Temple of Solomon, as the precious things could not be found. It says, And I did teach my people to build buildings, and to work in all manner of wood, and iron, and copper, and of brass, and of steel, and of gold, and of silver, and of precious ores, which were in great abundance. And I, Nephi, did build a temple, and I did to construct it after the manner of the Temple of Solomon, save it were not built of so many precious things, for they were not to be found upon the land. Wherefore, it could not be built like unto, the temple, uh, unto Solomon's temple. But the manner of construction was like unto the temple of Solomon, and the workmanship thereof was exceedingly fine. The Book of Mormon also talks about the wicked brothers of Nephi, Lemon and Lemuel, 
and how they were cursed with a dark skin, and they became wicked, savage, and lazy people. Keep in mind that these people are believed by the Mormons to be the principal ancestors of the American Indians, and it does not paint a flattering picture of the American Indians. And he had caused the cursing to come upon them, yea, even a sore cursing, because of their iniquity. For behold, they had hardened their hearts against him, and they had become like unto a flint, Wherefore, as they were white and exceedingly fair and delightsome, that they might not be enticing unto my people, the Lord God did cause a skin of blackness to come upon them. And thus saith the Lord God, I will cause that they shall be a loathsome pe- uh, a, they shall be loathsome unto thy people, save they shall repent of their iniquities. And cursed shall be the seed of him that mixes with their seed, and they shall be cursed even with the same cursing. And the Lord spake it, and it was done. And because of their cursing which was upon them, they did become an idle people, full of mischief and subtlety, and did seek in the wilderness for beasts of prey. Second Nephi, chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. In verse 26, it says that Nephi's brothers, Jacob and Joseph, were made priests over the people. But there is a problem with that, especially since the book claims that they followed the law of Moses. These people are self-proclaimed descendants of Joseph, but the priesthood is given in the, the priesthood given in the law of Moses did not come through the line of Joseph, but from the line of Levi, and only through the line of Levi. There were no exceptions to this rule. A lot of the complaints I have about chapter six and through the rest of Second Nephi are repeated issues. So, for the sake of time, I will skip over the errors if. Their errors that I've already mentioned, and there are a lot of those in this variety. A lot of Second Nephi chapter six and all of chapters seven and eight are plagiarized from Isaiah, supposedly having been written on the brass plates that Nephi stole from Laban after he cut off his head. Some scholars don't believe that all of Isaiah was written by Isaiah, and that some of it was written after Lehi and his family supposedly left Jerusalem. So that's a potential error there. Second Nephi 9.9 says that the devil transforms himself into an angel of light. But the Bible teaches that the devil was an angel of light until he rebelled against God. Though it would not be too difficult for him to make people, including a young Joseph Smith, believe that he was an angel of light still, perhaps by the name of Moroni. There is reasons why the Bible warns us not to believe a different gospel other than the Bible, even if an angel preaches it to us. Second Nephi 9.23 says, And he commandeth all men that they must repent and be baptized in his name, having perfect faith in the Holy One of Israel, or they cannot be saved in the kingdom of God. Yes, we must have faith, but our faith need not be perfect. And in fact, Jesus said in the Bible, that faith the size of a mustard seed is enough. Who are we to believe, Jesus or the Book of Mormon? After several verses of telling us who will be thrust down into hell for doing offenses that modern LDS doctrine does not think will actually warrant hell, or outer darkness as they are calling it, verse 38 tells us that those who die in their sins will remain in their sins. And in fine, Woe unto those who die in their sins, for they shall return to God and behold his face and behold his face and remain in their sins. Second Nephi nine thirty eight. 
Well, so much for baptisms and other posthumous ordinances. According to this and other verses in the Book of Mormon, we only have this life to become right with God, and after that there is no chance of salvation. Chapter 10 makes an error that anyone who is even marginally familiar with the Bible should never make, and that is to say that Christ should be the name of the Messiah. Wherefore, as I said unto you, it, it must needs be expedient that Christ, for in, for in the last night the angel spake unto me that that should be his name, should come among the Jews, among those who are the more wicked part of the world, and they shall crucify him. For thus it behooveth our God, and there is none other nation on earth that would crucify their God. Second Nephi 10.3 Christ is a title, just like Messiah. And Christ is a Greek word. So why would an angel give a Hebrew-speaking people the Greek name for Jesus' title and say that it would be his name? That would be like me referring to President Trump and instead of saying that Donald and or Trump is his name, saying that President is his name. President is the title of the office, not the name of the person holding that office. And Christ is the title not the name of the man who was in his God that holds that position. Verse 16 basically says any church that is against the LDS church is the whore of all the earth, which is also what other parts of the Book of Mormon explicitly say. Despite what their public relations say, people say, the LDS church holds an extremely unfavorable view of all other churches. Verses 24 says something interesting that while biblical is against current LDS doctrine. And the relevant part of the verse says, It is only in and through the grace of God that ye are saved. We are saved through the grace of God and grace alone. But current LDS doctrine teaches that grace is not enough and that we have to earn grace through works, which means that it is a just reward and not grace at all. Second uh, Nephi chapter 11 verse 3 is another one of the many self-fulfilling prophecies in the Book of Mormon. And this one talks about the three witnesses of the Book of Mormon. Verse 7 supports the Christian idea that there is only one God and not many gods that are taught by the false doctrines of the LDS Church. There is a God, and he is Christ, and he cometh in the fullness of his own time. Chapters 12 through 24 just plagiarize the Bible by copying Isaiah, with a few changes. Second Nephi 25:12 seems to support the Trinity, a doctrine that the LDS Church hates. But behold, they shall have wars and rumors of wars, and when the day cometh that the only begotten of the Father, yea, even the Father of heaven and earth, shall manifest himself unto them in the flesh, behold, they will reject him because of their iniquities and the hardness of their hearts, and the stiffness of their necks. And it's important to notice that I have the original, or a replica of the original 1830 version of the Book of Mormon, and when you compare it to the, to the current printing, there are a lot of changes. There's a lot of places where it refers to Jesus as it says that he is uh, the Eternal Father, and or that he's the Eternal God. And... In those verses in the newer printing, uh, they've changed it to say that he is the son of the eternal God because they want to get away from uh, anything that sounds like the Trinity. Second Nephi 25.20 says, Behold, I say unto you, 
that as these things are true, and as the Lord God liveth, there is none other name given under heaven, save it be this Jesus Christ, of whom I have spoken, whereby man can be saved. So that leaves no room for Joseph Smith to be our Savior and Judge. But LDS doctrine teaches that we will have to go through Joseph Smith and be judged by him in order to enter heaven. The Book of Mormon seems to be ambivalent on about the issue of grace, especially the current edition with the changes. And as many places in the Book of Mormon says that we are saved by grace alone, and then it throws out this gem, which is a verse that is stressed to every LDS person in order to get him or her to follow all the rules. For we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children, and also our brethren, to believe in Christ, and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved, after all we can do. And that's 2 Nephi 25-23. If we are saved by grace after all that we can do, then we are not saved by grace at all. We are saved by all we can do. Verse 25 claims that the law of Moses was fulfilled over 500 years before Jesus was even born. For, unto in, for, for this end was a law given, wherefore the law hath become dead unto us, and we are made alive in Christ because of our faith. Yet we keep the law because of the commandments. There is no biblical justification for the law of Moses being fulfilled before Jesus lived and died. And in fact, the exact opposite is true. Second Nephi 25:27 says, Wherefore we speak concerning the law, that our children may know the deadness of the law. And they, by knowing the deadness of the law, may look forward unto the life which is in Christ, and know for what end the law was given. And after the law is fulfilled in Christ, that they need not harden their hearts against him when the law ought to be done away. But in this time period, uh, which was 559 to 545 BC, none of the descendants of Abraham would speak of the law in this manner. The Book of Mormon wants us to think that these people were so special that they were given privileged information that not even the biblical prophets were given. And that simply is not true. The Book of Mormon is a book written in the 1800s with information that was not available in the time that it claims to be from. And it uses that information to make it look as if it were inspired and fulfilling prophecy. Second Nephi 26.12 was written before Joseph Smith came up with his blasphemous doctrine that Jesus was not always God and was created. And as I spake concerning the convincing of the Jews that Jesus is the very Christ, it must needs be that Gentiles be converted also, that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God. Anything that is eternal not only has no end, but has no beginning. And since Jesus is the eternal God, he had no beginning, and was always God, not some created being. Second Nephi 26.1 and verses 16-17 through 17 are set up so that Joseph Smith can say that the way he found and translated the golden plates is divine, and that it was fulfilling or the fulfillment of prophecy. Of course, when you write about something while you are doing it, but claim to be translating an ancient manuscript, you can make and fulfill any prophecy you want. The Book of Mormon in 2 Nephi 26-27 says, 
that salvation is given as a free gift. Hath he commanded any that they should not partake of his salvation? Behold, I say unto you, Nay, but he hath given it free for all men. And he hath, and hath he commanded his people that they should not persuade all men to repentance? Since the writings of the Book of Mormon and the LDS Church has changed what it means by salvation, uh, salvation no longer means to go to heaven and be with God, but just to be resurrected and given some sort of glory in one of the three degrees of heaven. But to be in the top heaven, the one where God lives, you have to earn it. That, of course, is not what was meant by salvation when the Book of Mormon was written, and the idea of more than one heaven is not present in the Book of Mormon. Second Nephi 26, 29-31 talks of priestcraft, which is to be paid for preaching or offering religious services, and it says that they should labor for their own support and should not be supported by the people. The LDS Church stresses that they have no paid ministry because of this, but that is not true. Yes, the multitudes of bishops and stake presidents and other ward and stake leaders are unpaid, but some of the area authorities, all mission presidents, the Quorum of the Seventy, the Quorum of the Twelve, the First Presidency, and others at the top are paid, and they make their entire living off what is given to the church by its members. When Joseph Smith said that he was to be supported by the church, Oliver Cowdery and the Whitmers accused him of priestcraft, and they almost left the church over it. But somehow Joseph convinced them that the commandment did not apply to him, and that what he was doing was not to be considered priestcraft. Despite what it says in 2 Nephi 26.33, blacks were denied entrance into the temple for many years. For none of these iniquities come of the Lord, for he doeth that which is good among the children of man, and he doeth, noth he doeth nothing save it be plain unto the children of man. And he inviteth them all to come unto him and partake of his goodness, and he denieth none that cometh unto him, black and white, bond and free, male and female. And he remembereth the heathen, and all are alike unto God, both Jew and Gentile. Most of chapter 27 is just supposed prophecy about Joseph Smith and the coming of the Book of Mormon, so that Smith could claim that he fulfilled it when he published the book. A book with no external proof that validates itself and its author is not that impressive. I firmly believe that the main reason most LDS people are so opposed to mainstream Christianity is that it has been misrepresented to them by the church and that they have no idea what it is actually about or what Christianity actually believes. The 20th chapter of 2 Nephi verses 3 through 20 teaches a false narrative of what Christian churches are like and with each claim it makes, I will explain why it is not the case or why there is confusion about it. Second Nephi says that all churches claim that they are the true church to the exclusion of all other churches and that they contend with one another. But the truth is that most Christian churches feel that most other Christian churches are true and that they bring people to salvation. There are a lot of differences within Christianity, but those differences are not disagreements about what it takes to be saved, and they are about things where the Bible has gray areas, and they are on matters that are not essential for salvation. Christian churches disagree on topics such as whether or not it is the sand to smoke, whether or not dancing is okay, 
whether or not the Lord's Supper should be every week or once a month, etc. Not things that are important for salvation. As far as contending with one another, most Christian churches are more than happy to help one another to help out other Christian churches. And the Baptist church that I attend even gives money to other Christian churches when they need it, mostly to those who are not even the same denomination. The big criteria on whether or not they help another church is whether or not that church is in line with the Bible. We as Christians don't view other Christian churches as enemies, but as friends, since we serve the same God and have the same goal, which is to bring salvation to every person on earth, even to those who falsely think that they can save themselves by their works, such as the Mormons. I can think of a few churches right off the top of my head that claim that they are the only true church, and only one of them, the Catholic Church, is Christian. The other churches that claim that they are the only true churches are the Jehovah's Witness, Scientology, and of course, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as the Mormons. Who teaches it as their official doctrine that they are the only true church and that all other churches are of the devil? Second Nephi also claims that Christian churches deny the power of the Holy Ghost and say that God has done his work and there are no more miracles. Anyone who has ever attended a Christian church of any denomination would know full well that they believe in the Holy Ghost and miracles and teach both, some to a much greater extent than the LDS Church does. One example, such as the Pentecostals, who believe in speaking of tongues. The LDS Church, by the way, claims to believe in the speaking of tongues, though they don't practice it. The claim that Christian churches believe that God has done his work and there is no need for new scriptures other than the Bible is true and is strongly supported by the Bible itself. God still works among humans, but the work of salvation was completed on the cross and everything we need to know to be saved and everything we know, need to know to serve God can be found in the Bible and anything that claims to be additional revelation is either mistaken or is an outright lie and deception. Anyone who denies the power of the Bible is not Christian. Nothing can be added to the work of the cross. Another huge misconception among LDS people about Christianity, taught both by the Book of Mormon and the Church, is that Christianity teaches that we can live a life of sin and still be saved just by confessing our belief and asking to be saved before death, when we don't even love God. <clears throat> Nothing can be farther from the truth. Christianity does not take a favorable stance on sin and strongly condemns sin and does all it can to discourage people from sinning. For an example of what Christianity and the Bible teaches on the subjects of sin, refer to the last episode of my podcast and blog, which was on the subject of why we can't live a life of sin and expect to be saved. Yes, Christianity believes in deathbed repentance and salvation, but in order for it to work, it must be sincere. If a person lived their entire life in open rebellion against God, and in the last few minutes of their life they confess and ask for forgiveness, but don't love God or care about what he did for them above just not going to hell, then they will not be saved. End of story. I never have known an LDS person who understands what Christianity teaches on this or any other matter, or at least I have never known one who is honest about what Christianity teaches. Christianity, especially among evangelicals, 
the subject of hell is prevalent, and there are many hellfire and damnation sermons preached to the goal of dissuading people from sinning. The idea that we can live a life of sin and expect to be beat with a few stripes and then saved, as the LDS Church teaches that we believe, is completely foreign to Christianity and is completely against the doctrines and beliefs. In another place in 2 Nephi, uh, chapter 28, it says that the churches rob the poor to build their fine sanctuaries. But when the LDS people uses this to condemn other churches, they conveniently neglect to think about or mention the LDS stake centers and the temples, especially the temples. If you've ever seen an LDS temple, especially if you've, seen, if you've been inside of one, you know that no expense was spared. The LDS Church teaches that in order to be right, to have a right standing with God, you have to give 10% of your income to the church, whether you can afford it or not. Most Christian churches follow the Bible and ask for a free will offering, not a compulsion, which is taught in 2 Corinthians 9-7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 2 Nephi chapter 28 also says that the churches will pervert the way of God and teach false doctrines as the commandments of God. Let's examine this claim. The Christian churches teach the Bible, the Word of God, and that is their doctrine, while the LDS Church teaches a plethora of doctrines that are to be found nowhere in the Bible and are in stark opposition to what the Bible teaches, such as the doctrine that the Almighty God was once a man who earned his God status by following the commandments of another God. It is the LDS Church that is teaching false doctrines of men and commandments of, as the commandments of God and perverting the way of God. In several places in the Book of Mormon, including 2 Nephi 28, it teaches that other churches are the great and abominable church and that they belong to the kingdom of the devil and rage against that which is good. And the LDS people wonder why Christians are so opposed to their church. The LDS Church teaches the blasphemous and damning doctrines of the devil while claiming that true Christianity is of the devil. The LDS Church calling true Christianity the, the devil is not like the pot calling the kettle black. It's more like a pile of coal calling the snow black. 2 Nephi 28.21 says, And others he will, meaning the devil, pacify and will lull them away into carnal security. And they will say, All is well in Zion, yea, Zion prospereth, all is well. And thus the devil cheateth their souls and leadeth them away carefully down to hell. The LDS Church is fulfilling their own prophecy by carefully leading its own members down to hell. Second Nephi 28.15 says, Woe to those who teach false doctrines. And you would be hard-pressed to find a church that teaches more false doctrines than the LDS Church does. 2 Nephi 28.31 says that those who put their trust in man will be cursed, and that would include Joseph Smith and every false prophet that was followed, that has followed in his shady footsteps. That verse is correct when it says that we should put our trust in the Word of God and not in the teachings of man. But the Word of God is only found in its complete and unadulterated form in the Holy Bible. 2 Nephi 29 spins the first 14 verses making a case for why we need a book other than the Bible. And the only way for this to be believable 
is to in some way denigrate or downplay the Bible and reduce its importance, which is what the LDS Church does at every opportunity, all the while claiming to be Christian. The Bible is clear that, while it doesn't contain every word ever spoken by Jesus, it contains all the information necessary for salvation, and there is no need for any other holy books, especially ones that contradict or denigrate the Bible. Second Nephi 30 talks about the gospel of Jesus being restored, but there was no need to restore it as it was never lost, and Jesus himself promised that it would never be lost as we read in Matthew 16, 13-20. In Second Nephi 36 it says, And then shall they, meaning the American Indians, rejoice, for they shall know that it is a blessing unto them from the hands of God, and their scales of darkness shall begin to fall from their eyes, and many generations shall not pass away among them, save they shall be a pure and delightsome people. However, in the original Book of Mormon, the one that Joseph Smith proclaimed to be the most correct book on earth, it said, And many generations shall not pass away among them, save they shall be a white and delightsome people. I know that that is what it says in the original, because as I mentioned before, I have a reprint of the original 1830 edition. Not only is this passage incredibly racist, but no one's skin has ever gotten lighter after they joined the LDS Church. Second Nephi 31.5 says that Jesus needed to be baptized, but that is not even slightly true. Jesus did not get baptized because he needed it but because it, uh, he did it to set an example for us to follow. Baptism is a symbolic death and resurrection of Jesus, and when we are baptized, we are showing that we are willing to bury our old lives and live a new life in Christ. Second Nephi 31, 13, and 14 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, I know that ye shall follow the Son with full purpose of heart, acting no hypocrisy and no deception before God, but with real intent, repenting of your sins, witnessing unto the Father that you are willing to take upon you the name of Christ by baptism, yea, by following your Lord and your Savior down to the water, according to his word. Behold, then ye shall receive the Holy Ghost, yea, then cometh the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost, and then ye can speak with the tongues of angels and shout praises unto the Holy One of Israel. But behold, my beloved brethren, thus came the voice of the Son unto me, saying, After ye have repented of your sins, and witnessed unto the Father that ye are willing to keep my commandments by baptism of water, and have received the baptism of fire in the Holy Ghost, and can speak with the new tongue, yea, even with the tongue of angels. And after this should deny me, it would have been better for you to have not known me. Those verses, supposedly written in approximately 559 to 545 B.C., say that after baptism they will have the Holy Ghost come upon them and that they will speak in tongues. But the problem with this, and it's a huge problem, is that the Holy Ghost was not available as a helper, and the baptism with fire did not occur until after the death and resurrection of Jesus. The speaking in tongues did not occur until the Pentecost in approximately 33 AD. There is no reason to believe that a group of people in America would be given special privileges that were not afforded to those in the Holy Land, not even to those who followed Jesus as his apostles. Second Nephi 31.16 says, And now, my beloved brethren, I know 
by this, that unless a man shall endure to the end and follow the example of the Son of the living God, he cannot be saved. Of course, one could not at the end of his life, or one could at the end of his life, uh, give up and decide that not to follow Jesus anymore, and they'd be lost. But in the equation of grace, following all the rules does not factor in. What Jesus accomplished on the cross afforded forgiveness for every sin ever committed in the history of the earth, even those that have yet to be committed. And making a mistake at the end of a person's life does not mean that he or she will not be saved. The LDS Church teaches that it's all based on works, and that even if you are the president of the church and followed all the rules your entire life and broke a rule just before you died, that your exaltation would be in danger. What a needlessly stressful way to live a life. The Book of Mormon is wishy-washy on the subject of grace. In one place it says that we're saved by grace alone, and another it says that we're saved by works. In 2 Nephi 31.17 it says, And now, my beloved brethren, after ye have gotten in the straight and narrow path, I would ask, Is all done? If all is done. Behold, I say unto you, Nay, for you have not come thus far, save it were by the word of Christ, with unshaken faith in him, relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save. If we are relying wholly on the merits of him who is mighty to save, then we are not worried about whether or not we have done enough good works. The math works this way. Everything minus the grace of Jesus equals nothing. Nothing plus the grace of Jesus equals everything. Jesus grants salvation, and our meager works cannot add or detract from what Jesus already did. LDS people like to say that grace is like a ladder that is extended to us and we still have to climb it. But that's not how grace works. Grace is like the National Guard or the Coast Guard coming to save us from the middle of a raging storm without asking or expecting us to do anything in the saving process other than allowing them to save us. The last verse in chapter 2 of Second Nephi Second uh, Nephi thirty one twenty one says, And now behold, my beloved brethren, this is the way, and there is none other way nor name given under heaven whereby man can be saved in the kingdom of God. And now behold, this is the doctrine of Christ, and the only and true doctrine of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, which is one God without end. Amen. There is a lot to discuss in that last verse, starting with Jesus being the only way and name by which we can be saved which is 100% true. And this verse alone should cause Latter-day Saints to leave the church when they discover that it is an official church doctrine that they can't be saved without the express consent of Joseph Smith. I won't go into listing the reference for that doctrine here, but it's easy to find, and I discussed it in detail with references in a previous podcast about why the LDS Church is not Christian. The last half of the last verse uh, supports the Holy Trinity instead of the polytheistic view espoused by the LDS Church. The verse says, And now behold, this is the doctrine of Christ and the only true doctrine of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost, which is one God without end. Amen. It does not say that it is one Godhood with three gods. It says that the three are one God without end. It doesn't get much clearer than that. It's obvious in reading the Book of Mormon and comparing it with later writings and teachings by Joseph Smith that originally his views on religion were similar to Christianity, but as 
his life progressed, his views became more extreme and grew ever more distant from the truth of the Bible. 2 Nephi 32.5 says, For behold, again I say unto you, that if you will enter in by the way, and receive the Holy Ghost, it will show unto you the things what ye should do. We are not to determine how we are to live by feelings, and the Holy Ghost will not show us all things that we should do. But if we read the Bible, then we have a clear guide on how God wants us to live our lives and how to make decisions based on the will of God. 2 Nephi 33.5 makes the claim that if a person does not believe in the Book of Mormon, despite the fact that it doesn't always agree with the Bible, that he or she has the spirit of the devil. 2 Nephi 33.11 says, and if, these, and if they are not the words of Christ, judge ye. And I have judged the words of the Book of Mormon, using the Bible as a standard. And I have judged them to not be the words of Christ. In the words of Daniel 5.27, I say, It has been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Sure, some of the words of the Book of Mormon are biblical, but that is only because they were copied directly from the Bible. The Book of Mormon is not another work of scripture comparable to the Bible. It's a fraud that has a few truths as an accidental result of an intentional plagiarism. I don't have time to go into more on the Book of Mormon, but next time I will examine the Book of Jacob and see how far I can get while still keeping the episode manageable. Some of the books in the Book of Mormon are so long that when I get to them, I will have to dedicate several episodes to them, like the Book of Alma. The Bible is the Word of God, and if you want to see if a claim about God is true, then see how it compares to the Bible. Nothing about God or salvation that contradicts or disagrees with the Bible is true. God is not a God of confusion and wanted it to be easy for us to know his will for us and how to be saved. And that is why he gave us the Bible, which is pretty straightforward. Instead of giving us the convoluted mess of blasphemy and lies that is the LDS doctrine. The Bible, not the Book of Mormon, is the most correct book. And the Bible is the only book that will lead us to God and the salvation that only he offers. Not as a purchase, but as a free gift. God doesn't make us jump through hoops, and he doesn't require us to have secret rituals or wear special clothing to be saved. The Bible says, uh, lays it out clearly, what we need to do to be saved, and that is to love God and accept and admit that we are sinners, and, and that what Jesus accomplished on the cross paid the price for us. We just need to accept it. You are loved. My prayer is that if you are LDS, that you look critically at the claims of the church and compare them to the ultimate standard of God's truth, which is the Bible. That if you are considering joining the LDS church, that you will join true Christianity instead. And that if you have family members or friends within the LDS church, that this may help you to rescue them and save their souls. God bless you. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Faith Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe so you never miss an episode. A new episode goes live every Wednesday. If you have questions, comments, have suggestions for a future episode, or if you would like to be a guest, you can contact me through my website, genecurl.com. Remember, it's gene like the unit of biological heredity and curl like a curl on your head. 
please leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, or whichever streaming service you use. God bless you and keep you till the next episode.